A lot of you know this past uh, spring, Terry and I had an opportunity to go to the Holy Land. And it made a great impression upon me where I was able to experience many of the things I just merely read in the Bible. But being at the places in, in Israel and in Jordan was in many ways transformative in my, my own spiritual journey. Now, one of the places that we got to visit is the Dead Sea. And I think I have a picture of me standing at, uh, at uh, the sign that describes that the Dead Sea is actually one of the lowest points, it is actually the lowest point on earth. It's four, over 1,400 feet below sea level. And, and as you go actually descend to the Dead Sea, the temperature begins to rise because as you get closer to the center of the earth, temperature just rises. And it's, it's really hot. And the notorious thing about the Dead Sea, it's actually one of the saltiest lakes or water bodies in the world. The density of that water, if you actually go into the water, causes you to float. You can't really sink in that kind of salinity. So when we were there as tourists, we had an option of just going to the um, beach resort and just looking at the water, or you can actually go into the water and experience that floating experience. And so, yes, I'm often a very cautious person. I don't like to take too many risks, but I thought I've traveled so far, and to come to a place like this, I had to have that real experience of being in the water. And I think I have a picture of myself with Terry, and we're actually floating in the Dead Sea. But what, my point here is when we go to places like this, it requires us to be all in, to be into the experience that God has presented to us is to be all in. What does that mean, to be all in? Well, Jesus came with a simple message. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. And because he came with that message, he was looking for people who would resonate with that, that message that he had delivered, that people would be fully committed to him, fully devoted, that they would be all in. Jesus is looking for those kinds of people. And here's the problem, though. Many of us hear it, and maybe we start out enthusiastic about it, but a lot of us begin to fall away. And here's some disturbing statistics that I came up with uh, that I found uh, on the internet, uh, about two out of three teens after the age of 18, when they go to college, fall away from God. They leave the church. Two out of three. And here's another sad statistic, if we believe it, that one out of 10 pastors will actually retire as a pastor. One out of 10. That's pretty sad. Now, I know there are some good reasons that some may not re, uh, leave the ministry when they retire as a pastor. I mean, some will go into the mission field like Pastor Andrew is planning to do. So that's a good reason of not becoming a, a pastor when you retire. But that's a sad thing to hear is that if only one out of 10 pastors actually retire as a pastor, something just not going right. And they're not finishing well. And that concept of 
being all in for Jesus is actually being lost. So what does it mean to be all in? And so today, I'm going to choose to read in our series of Mark, Mark 4, and it's the parable of the sower. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to follow along with me as I read. I'm sure it's going to be projected behind me. So starting with verse 1 in chapter 4. Again, he, he being Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since that it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I'm going to stop right here. And Jesus just began to teach, and he has a crowd around him. He's sitting on a boat, probably on the Sea of Galilee, <clears throat> and he's teaching to the crowd. And he tells this story. It's actually a parable. Now, if you were there listening to this story, he's talking about a sower. He's talking about seeds. <clears throat> he's talking about a lot of soils, trees, fruit. And you're kind of scratching your head. What's he talking about? I mean, a lot of us would desire that, that Jesus would say things in a clear manner. But he's talking about fruit trees, seed, and soil. So why is he doing that? And he kind of gives us a clue when he says, those who can hear, hear. Jesus uses parables as a test. He's testing whether or not you are truly an insider or an outsider. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you would understand what he's talking about. That's how he tests people, is that if you're open to his word, to his instruction, you will understand what he's saying. He kind of demonstrates this as the passage continues on. Because the disciples who are sitting there next to him as he's teaching is wondering the same thing. What are you talking about? And in verse 10, it continues here. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Kind of confusing here what Jesus is talking about. But here he's saying, if you're an insider, I will tell you what I mean. If you're an outsider, I talk in parables. And so for us today, that means Jesus is, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you have brought him into your heart, Jesus is there to clearly tell you what he means when you read his word. 
when you read the Bible, if there's anything that's confusing to you, you have Jesus with you. And Jesus, as he's saying here to his disciples, I will tell you exactly what I mean. And he uses a prophecy from, from Isaiah. They may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. He's using that in some sense to, to, to indicate that there's no easy way of getting what he's offering. That means you have to make a commitment to actually want to follow him. Then he gives you the gift of salvation and eternal life. Because if he explained things real quickly, it's easy for people to say, yeah, I believe, and stop right there. And that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not just offering tickets to heaven to everybody and, and, and be satisfied with that. Jesus wants us to be all-in kind of people. That given this ticket to heaven, then we would respond in a way to follow his instructions for us to fulfill our calling and mission in life because we have made that commitment to be all in with him, to continue to run the race to the end and not just stop halfway or even just at the beginning of receiving this amazing gift of salvation and just stopping there. Because he says, I tell you in parables because if you truly understand then you will understand without me having to say it clearly. Kind of a paradox, but that's how Jesus um, decided to make his, his plan for the world. So he speaks in parables. But here, with his disciples, he begins to, to describe exactly what he means. And he describes for us four kinds of people represented by four different kinds of soil. He tells us three soils not to be, And then finally gives us the fourth soil, which is the one he is looking for in in people that he desires to follow him. So in this parable, we begin with uh, verse 15, chapter 4, where he begins to explain these four different soils. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And the sower, meaning God, originally sows the word. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. That's the first soil. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Second soil. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And that's the third soil. And finally, here's the fourth soil. And those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And that is the word of the Lord. So the first kind of soil that we see here is like 
hard paved road, like asphalt. So when the sower throws a seed on that hard, hard road, it doesn't get a chance to go into the soil. Obvious, right? So apparently, the, this soil it represents hard-hearted people. The verse says, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown on them. So this is a reminder that we are in a spiritual battle. That Satan is out there ready to take away the word of God, which is represented by the seed. That we live in a spiritual world. I know this is maybe something that some of you may not agree with in our very logical, rational, uh, science, evidence-based kind of people, modernistic, we don't believe in a spiritual world. Deep down, we just think it's fairy tales, it's just fantasy. But I'm telling you, we, ha- we live and exist in a spiritual world. And as Christians, we understand that. And this is a reminder by Jesus that we are in a spiritual battle. That there is an enemy called Satan out there deceiving us, putting scales over our eyes, blinding us so that we cannot see or hear God. And here Jesus is reminding his disciples that we are in a spiritual battle. And if we are in a spiritual battle, we must then put on armor to protect ourselves. In Ephesians 6, verse 12 to 13, the Apostle Paul talks about this spiritual armor to do battle with the spiritual enemies. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We're in a spiritual battle. And this is a reminder for us as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, that we must engage in spiritual strength and power. And it's through prayer. So those of us who are sharing the gospel, which is the seed that's being sown, people are blinded out there. They are, they are um, told lies and deceived by the enemy. And so we must pray against that. And this is a reminder for those you would like to reach for the gospel's sake. You need to pray for them so that they can b- begin to hear, to begin to see, and to go, go to battle with Satan against his, his deception towards people like that. The second soil is rocky, and it's giving rise to people who are superficial or shallow. The scripture says, these are the ones shown on, sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. So it does mean that, that, that some good comes, that the people hearing the word of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, they receive it and they have joy, which is the natural thing that happens when we hear the gospel. There is joy that comes into our hearts. And the scripture says, these people do experience joy. But there's a problem. 
It says here, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So what Jesus is talking about here is that, that the seed, which initially takes hold and brings joy, doesn't grow roots. It's shallow. And when heat comes, persecution, when troubles of the world come, the, the roots, this plant withers. And this points to us the importance of what's known as abiding in Jesus, abiding in him. And to abide in Jesus means the necessity to practice spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, if you don't know, are just simply prayer, spending time with God. It's reading the Bible, reading his word, meditating on it, reflecting on it. It's also having the quiet times, meditation times. It's practicing um, Sabbath, like today, taking a day of rest to enjoy and worship God. Abide is a word that comes from the word abode, which means home, place, shelter. And so when we abide in him and him in us, we are making a home with Jesus and Jesus is making a home in us. John 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus is reminding us that we can't go into this world without him and be fruitful. We can only be a fruitful if we abide in him. To demonstrate this, um, one of the things I love to do is go fishing. You know, I know you've seen my fishing stories. And for me, fishing isn't just an activity of putting a lure in the water and then just retrieving it. That doesn't make you a fisherman. For me, you're a fisherman if you catch fish. <laughs> Very important. Otherwise, it's, it'd be any other activity but the only difference uh, that being a fisherman is that you can catch fish. And, and, to, and what I want to do here is, I, I like to know, is there anybody out here who's never gone fishing? Oh, really? Okay. Okay. And then, if you've never gone fishing, but do you like to eat fish? Okay. Brian, can you come up here? I'll pick on you. So you've never gone fishing. Okay, something to note. Maybe I'll have to take you fishing. Um, But you like to eat fish. Yes. And it's more important, will you eat raw fish? I do eat raw fish. Okay, good, good, good. So so here is uh, yellowfin tuna. Okay, this is tuna that I caught just a couple weeks ago. And so it's for you. Okay, but for me giving him this fish, does this make him a fisherman? No, right? He's got a meal for a day. And you've heard that saying, give a man a fish, he has a meal for a day. But to continue on is, you teach a man how to fish, he can feed himself for a lifetime. So I guess I have to take you out fishing sometime so then you can feed yourself for a lifetime. But my point here, thank you, why don't you give him a hand? My point here is exactly what Jesus is saying here about, about abiding in him. Is that when you hear the gospel and accept the gift of salvation. It can't stop right there. 
because without spiritual disciplines to, to sustain you, to grow you, to grow those deep roots, then you can wither away. And that's what the second soil is demonstrating to us. We don't want to be shallow people. We want to grow deep roots, and we can do that only if we practice spiritual disciplines. The third kind of soil. The third kind of soil is thorny. It represents people who are divided. Verse 18 says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitful are riches. Deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the world and it proves unfruitful. Money, possessions, career, relationships, family, pleasure, all of these things can be good, but they can get in the way of knowing Jesus and the things that Jesus wants us to do. The, world, the worries of the world and troubles in this world no doubt can distract us and take our attention away from God. And and a lot of us struggle with this. So what can we do? How do we counter the troubles of the world that often distract us? This is not easy. And for sure, we can't do this on our own. And this is the good news, is that God is with you. He knows the struggles that you have. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit in us to guide us, to counsel us, to help us in moments when we do struggle. Because they will come. And Jesus knows that. And he's talking about this in this thorny soil. So one of the things we must recognize is that if we have these distractions in our lives, that we have to be, be prepared to let go of these distractions, to let go of essentially these masters of our lives because there can be only one master who controls and oversees our life. Another word for, for this thing that controls us is idols. It's idolatry. The Bible has many things to say about that. And these are things that we must be uh, uh, aware of because these things can control us. They can actually cause us to be in bondage, in chains, that we will not be free. And we will definitely need God's help to do this and even accountability from church friends to pray for us. So I want to share a story where... um, it demonstrates this kind of power that prayer can have. And, and for believers who utilize the power of prayer to free other people from bondage. Uh, I heard a story, many of you know uh, Pam Tong. She's an atomicist and, and she is heading our prayer ministry. And, and uh, it's a joy working with her. But she shared a story with me last week where an opportunity where she had at her workplace to be able to bring someone to Christ. Uh, There was one day at the clinic that a patient showed up and he was agitated. Uh, He was kind of confrontational. And, you know, he's kind of a pain in you know what. And the staff was giving her a heads up that this person's going to be problematic, so prepare for it. And so Pam... Being the prayer warrior she is, she took a moment and prayed. And prayed to God for peace. But more importantly, to pray for this man who appeared to be all agitated. And she said, God, what do you want me to say to this man? And for one thing, can, we have an, can I have an opportunity to bring peace into his life? 
And so when she actually met the, met the man and started to treat him and began to interact and talk, he began to calm down. And there actually, uh, he was um, comfortable enough to be vulnerable and actually shared about his life to Pam, saying that I'm a drug addict. That a lot of times I come to these appointments under the influence of drugs. And that's why he often can be kind of agitated and irritable because he's under the influence. And so Pam began to say, well, you know, I know a way where you can overcome that kind of bondage through a relationship with a God that I know loves you. And that's Jesus Christ. And so she began to, sh- to, to walk him through the gospel because she asked, would you like to know this, this God? And this man said, yes. And so she prayed for him and led him through to Christ. Amazing story. And, 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 and the story doesn't end there because this man leaves and then Pam realizes, oh, wait a minute. He just, he just accepted Christ. But just like the story in the parable here, she realized he needs follow-up. He needs to grow deep roots. He needs to practice and know what it means to have spiritual disciplines. So that's where Amazon comes in. She sent him a Bible because she said, how do I contact him? And since she had his address, she said, I'll send him a Bible. And she's wondering after she sent it whether or not he got it. And so she prayed, God, how do I, how do I confirm this? And God answered. This gentleman came for a follow-up appointment, and she asked him, did you receive that Bible I, got, uh, I sent to you? And he said, yeah, and I'm actually reading it. So that's a cool story of Pam realizing that you can't just stop at sharing the gospel with someone. You have to encourage them to develop some spiritual disciplines. As the parable says, we need to have that to, be, to, to overcome the troubles in the world that often inundate us. Matthew 7, verse um, 20, demonstrates for us what it means to be for soil people, the final kind of soil. And before I go there, I, I think I want to pause and make this kind of encouragement for some of you that you're hearing about you know, hearing the word of God and developing spiritual disciplines and, and then the third kind of soil where we have um, the troubles of the world uh, mastering our lives and, and, and causing us to be distracted and unfocused. Oftentimes that can be kind of discouraging because I think we all, if we're honest, have been there. A lot of us in this room are third soil kind of people. That if we're we're all in a state where there are things in our lives that distract us. And these all are just normal. I would venture to say, you know, a lot of us that have family, family can get uh, in our way of God because we want to be responsible to our families. Those of us who are married, we have spouses and we have relationships to manage. And that can cause us to be distracted. Many of us have careers, and, and a lot of you are working really hard, and that can distract us. Some of us are at a stage where we have 
parents who are aging and not aging well. And that can be distracting. All these things are just normal parts of life. And so what I'm saying here, there's no, um, I'm not um, preaching perfection. That being a Christian is not one who is perfect. One who can, can be free of all distractions. That's just part of our life. But what I can say, the encouraging part is that Jesus does not condemn you for those distractions. He's saying, I'm here for you to walk alongside you in that journey of life where there are distractions. So he enjoys the effort more than the end result. That if you try, at least try and practice time with him to look towards him, God will bless you. Jesus will bless you. So finally, we have the four soil kind of people, the fertile kind, the good kind that is mentioned here in verse 20. It is what I call all-in kind of people. Those are the ones that are fully devoted, fully committed. And it's not perfectionism. It's just the, the attitude that you really, really want, earnestly desire to be with Jesus. Verse 20 says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, and a hundred-fold. He's talking about fruit. Good fruit. And trees. And you judge a tree by the fruit that the tree bears. Apple trees have apples. Fig trees have figs can't have a daily way an apple tree doesn't produce a fig so you judge a tree by its fruit good fruit and a good tree produces lots of fruit 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold so essentially jesus is saying be a good tree be a fruitful tree matthew 7 verse 17 through 20 says so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And I want to emphasize the plural fruits, which is kind of an interesting thing to to observe there. So what does this fruit look like? What is fruitfulness? This is an important thing to to understand and recognize. Some interpret this, and this is one perspective, that the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We find this in Galatians 5. These are all character qualities. And and this perspective uh, and this interpretation has some validity that if you are abiding in Jesus, if you are fruitful in the sense that you are fertile soil, that there will be character development and maturity that will resemble more like the Holy Spirit, which have these qualities these of, of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that that will be evident in your character. But, I'm, but in Galatians 5, the The word for fruit is singular. It says the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And and in Matthew 7, verse um, 20, Jesus says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. 
So why the plurality there? So if it was just the fruit of the Spirit, wouldn't Jesus just say would recognize them by their fruit? But it's plural. So that's why I lean on another interpretation that, that fruits are actually people. And more specifically, people who follow after Jesus. That a good tree delivers good fruits, abundant fruits. That means more disciples for Jesus Christ. And we get this idea from the beginning when God created the world. In Genesis 1, verse 28, God created men and women in his image. And he said this in verse 28, in chapter 1 of Genesis. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So God, in his intent, his original design is for us to multiply. To be fruitful means to expand physically the number of people in the faith. And Jesus tells us in John 15, verse 16, and I'm using the NIV version here. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Fruit that will last is essentially people who are in heaven. That's the only thing I know that's in eternal. Everything else disappears. Fruit that lasts are people who follow Jesus and enter the kingdom of God and enter into heaven. The ESV version says, uses the word abides as opposed to last. The only thing that I know that abides are people who have Jesus in them. And Jesus abides in people my rationale of understanding that fruit that lasts, the fruitfulness that God is calling for is that we produce more children of God, that we will be disciple makers. God's desire is for those who hear the gospel to become, is to become a good tree that produces lots of fruit, meaning producing more disciples. And that's the fourth kind of soil. That's the fourth kind of people those that hear the gospel and take it seriously in their hearts and obediently live out the great commandments and the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. So what do, what do real life, four soil kind of people look like? The all in kind of people. Do you know of any? Just think about it. Uh, when I think about it, I know many. Matter of fact, uh, our church, our church office, we, we house a couple partner ministries that we work closely with. We have Colin Tomakawa, who is part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and he, he's uh, one of the top directors there, but he works on campuses with other leaders who are making disciples at, at our college campuses. We partner with a woman, Nicole Lim, in our organization, Freely in Hope, which right now... Uh, I believe it's with Girls' Day, and they're having, um, I guess, almost 300 girls at a conference. But she works with women and girls in in Kenya, and now I believe in Zambia, uh, who have suffered sexual violence towards them. But she 
feels to change the world, to change the culture there, she needs to develop leaders, disciples, to follow after Jesus. Because many of the issues that we have in this world, we can find economic solutions. We can have um, physical, medical, uh, social solutions. But the one that really works is a spiritual solution. And that's Jesus Christ. Here in our church, we have people who are all in kind of people, for soil people. Some of you remember Stephen Shelnut, right? He was with us for, for a few years. Now he's overseas, and he's there trying to learn if God's calling him into the mission field. But while he was here, as a young man, he was working with City Team Ministries and was the discipler of men who are in recovery over alcohol and drug abuse. That's a four-soil kind of person, one who is producing good fruit. I want to call up Gordon Wong, uh, who, good friend of mine, someone we've journeyed a long time together. He, for me, is an inspiration as what a four-soil kind of person is. He, he's part of our missions team, but he isn't there just by title. He's a man who, who lives it out. And I want him just to, to be able to share some things about why he feels this is so important. Because for me, his example is something that if you're looking to know what it means to be a four-soil person, he's it. So, Gordon, thank you for um, being up here with me. And uh, personally, he's taken me on uh, multiple trips to Tijuana. Uh, He's taken my children uh, to many mission trips including China and uh, to South America. Mexico. Mexico, Monterey. Yeah, right? Yeah, that was uh, China. The Christie. So this guy has been um, influential in my family and my family's development in the area of missions. We went to Urbana together, and I see Amy there, right? We were there out at, uh, at Urbana one time. So this, we've had a long history. So one thing I want to share uh, or ask you to share about is what originated this, this passion you have for, for missions? So for me, it was, it was a bit of a, a journey. I think it started when I was um, an undergrad at, at UC Davis, and I had just become a Christian for a couple months, and I went to hear uh, a missionary speak, Helen Rosevier. She was a missionary in Africa um, at an university large group, and um, she shared about her story about how she went to the Congo. She graduated from medical school in England, and then uh, with starting hospitals and um, teaching centers in, in the Congo, in the Belgian Congo. And um, I just remember how honest she was because she shared, um, she spoke about how she was imprisoned after the independence movement and then um, she was beaten and raped. And uh, she went through some really, really dark days. Um, but she left a really strong impression on me because she was someone who had sacrificed so much for Jesus but, um, and suffered so immensely but didn't lose her faith. And she spoke with an authenticity that, that really um, just, just struck me. And, and many missionaries are like that, and they, they draw me to that. And I, I ended up going to Urbana as well, too. And, and um, I remember making a commitment to, um, to explore more about missions, but I actually never did anything about it. This was before we went to the, when I went with Calvin. And um, 
And then years later, I was sitting in the pews and um, hearing about missionaries' updates, and then I'd tell myself, oh, I'm going to pray for them this week, and I, I never did. Um, so then God prompted me to join the missions team, and, and um, at least that way, I would be praying for the missionaries on a regular basis. So it seemed like that wasn't that much to ask. So um, it was a simple goal, and it's, it's still something that I'm at doing today. In your um, ministry as a church, you've been a champion for short-term missions. And, and one I neglected to mention is that, that we've worked on many um, opportunities in the eye screening, which is, is essentially a short-term mission here locally, um, besides the ones in Tijuana, in South America, China. Um, why short-term missions? Um, I think short-term missions is important for a couple reasons because one, it gets you, um, can give you a different perspective and help you become more globally minded. It can meet a real need. Like when we're in Tijuana, we're doing um, shelters for people and it's a very basic structure, but it does provide um, uh, a way to meet their need. And it helps the church to be able to um, come together in community as they serve. And then it it's also a stepping stone for, um, for future um, actions, right? Like I think most long-term missionaries have gone on a short-term mission, so it, it provides that opportunity for them. But I also think like um, that, that when people go, you should go with an open heart, that you'd be willing to be changed, that you would be willing to um, let your heart be broken for the things that, that God's heart breaks for when, they, when you see poverty or injustice or people who just aren't connected, connecting with their, um, with their creator, that there's, um, yeah, that that, that being away and being in a different environment, especially cross-culturally, I think helps you to, um, to, to let God speak to you. And for our church, what, what do you see as part of our missions team that, that helps guide our church in this area? What do you see that's exciting in the near coming future? Yeah, so uh, about four years ago, our, the missions team had gotten together and we were asking God, well, what do you want CLC to be doing um, with missions? And one of the things he, he was saying to us was, well, maybe you could send out long-term missionaries. And we thought, oh, that, that's, an, that's an impossibility. But, um, but Pastor Andrew and Raina and their family are planning to go out as long-term missionaries, so we have this opportunity to send them um, and care for them. And so it's really exciting to be able to, um, to do that and to see how God has brought that um, brought that around and um, we want CLC to be a place where people can explore long-term missions or going out long-term and that the congregation would be able to care for them not just the missions team but really the whole congregation um, and and the way that happens is that our our hearts have to grow in compassion for to help those that are around us and then those who are around the world as well too well thank you for sharing and um we're looking forward to how God will be using you in that area and for our church. So thank you for sharing. I want to give him a hand. Um, this morning we've been talking about uh, the four different kinds of soils that Jesus talks about in his parable. And the one that I really want us to rem be uh, remembering as we leave here is the fourth kind, fourth kind of soil the ones that produces good fruit. And that's the one that Jesus calls us and desires us to be, that we would be all-in kind of people. 
that here at Christian Layman Church, that we would want to be a church where we actually love God and we do that through practicing the spiritual gifts, uh, spiritual disciplines, and that we would then love people through healthy relationships and being able to serve the world by using our spiritual gifts. That's the kind of church we want to be. It requires us then to understand what it means to be for soil kind of people. It doesn't happen by itself, and it doesn't happen just by our own efforts. It happens when we partner, when we abide with Jesus and allow him to work through us in being that kind of people. I want us, as we close here, to take a moment, just a minute or so, as you're sitting in, in your seats there, to go through this list of the four different soils. And I want you to take a moment and maybe, again, do this later in this week. I want you to reflect seriously how you see yourself. What kind of soil are you? Are you the first kind, the second kind, the third, or the fourth? Go through that and take a moment. And, and maybe this will be a moment where God will speak to you and you will hear his voice telling you what you are to do in whatever situation you maybe find yourself. So take a moment and do that, and then I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are uh, thankful for the reminder this morning that you desire us to be for soil kind of people, all in for Jesus. So we pray that with your help, for sure we cannot do this on our own, that you will help us to release us from the things that bind us, that chain us, that, that uh, cause us to be distracted and have other masters because you say we cannot serve two masters. Help us to be able to grow deeper roots when we spend time with you and may we develop that urgency, that willingness to, to devote time with you because only when we abide in you that we can then be fruitful. And for those who are blinded by the enemy, may you protect them and soften their hearts to the word of God. Lord, you are a good God. And we are thankful for your son, Jesus, who makes this all possible. We thank you in his name. Amen.